Thank you for tuning in to Dream City Omaha Online. We hope you like this message and that it has an impact on your life. Don't forget to like and subscribe for more. How's everybody doing today? Good. You guys all have a good Thanksgiving? Good. Andy and Trina, when I was, when I was doing communion this morning, the, it was darker out there. And so as I was looking out, I was like, I think that's Andy and Trina, Ray, but I'm not sure. But now that the lights are up, it's so good to see you. Thank you for being here with us today. Um, but, but hopefully you guys had a great Thanksgiving. Pastor Angel got up this morning and she said, you know, there's, there, there's, there's nothing better, right? She's talking about the glitter everywhere and including on her pants. Um, <laughs> And the Christmas trees are up and, you know, tinsel everywhere and all of that. And she's like, there's no better time. And I, I almost yelled out, and the Huskers beat Iowa. Like, there is, there is truly no better time to celebrate than now. Uh, Vince mentioned it in the buzz that this year we'll be doing two Christmas Eve services, so make sure that you plan accordingly. Because Christmas Day is falling on a Sunday this year, we won't have any Christmas Day services. Uh, we will release something online, just a, uh, a short uh, Merry Christmas from, from myself and Pastor Angel on Christmas morning. And so as you're hanging out with family, you could be looking, uh, looking on Facebook or, or Instagram for that. But, but plan on being a part of our two, one of our two Christmas Eve services this year. Wasn't with you last week, but it's so good to be back. I was, I was in Lincoln preaching for a friend at their church. And I know Angel mentioned it last week, but if, if, if you're watching online from Lincoln, if you have relatives in Lincoln, friends in Lincoln, if you have kids that you're sending to school in Lincoln, would encourage you, Mercy City Church is, is an incredible church. Pastor Matt and Carrie Erickson are doing an incredible thing there in the city that God's working through them. And so uh, if you're in Lincoln, check out Mercy City. It's a great church. Pastor Angel did a great job last week. Um, I just... I got so many text messages and, and responses that, you know, can you be gone more often? <laughs> because she did such a, such a great job. This morning, we're going to get into the Word. We're going to be uh, looking at the book of James. Before we do, I had somebody come up to me before service and said, Angel didn't give us a dad joke last week. I said, it's because she's not a dad. Um, Say, so can, can we get back on the dad joke train today? So being that I am back, I will, if, if you're just joining us, uh, studies show that when you laugh, it prepares your brain for learning. And so just to get us in, in an atmosphere of learning, uh, to, to get us primed for that. So, so here's, here's this week's dad joke. What do you call a cow that's been knighted by the queen? What do you call a cow that's been knighted by the queen? Sirloin. You're welcome. Sirloin. This week, <laughs> we're going to be in the book of James. And the book of James really is, is one, of my, one of my favorite books. Like if, if you're looking for, maybe, maybe you're new to the faith, maybe you're new to this whole Jesus thing, and, and you're just wondering, what does it look like? How do I live this life or, or what, what should my life be marked by now that I'm not living according to my own desires, but God has given me a new life. He's, he's caused my spirit to come alive and set me on a new path. What are those things that I should be thinking about, focusing on, being mindful of? James gives you all of that. James is a very, very practical book. It's a practical letter to, to believers that, that this is what this new life 
looks like and is exhibited by. In James chapter one, we have to remember that as we're reading the epistles from, from really from here till the end of the year, that the epistles were not written in chapter and verse. The epistles are letters to groups of people. And I know some of you that are, are under the age of 30 are, are asking the question, what is a letter? Because writing letters is one of those things that we just don't do anymore. I don't remember the last time I, I, I wrote the address on an envelope and stamped it and stuck it in the mailbox with this flag up. You know, they, they teach that in elementary school, right? It's like the, the one time a year, one time in, in, in our school career where they make us write a letter to somebody and mail it just so we have an idea that if the grid goes down, how are we going to communicate with one another? And so my daughter came home and she's like, I got to write this letter and I have to, I have to put it in an envelope. And, and she was all excited. She wrote the letter and she, she had Angel write the address on it and we put the stamp on it and she goes, okay, but can I mail it? And it's like, yeah. She's like, okay, what do I do? Like, she's so excited to mail this letter. And it's like, it's not as exciting as it sounds. You literally walk to the mailbox and put it in there and you have successfully mailed the letter. Congratulations. But, but the epistles are letters to groups of people, letters to different churches. And so when James writes this letter, in James chapter 1, he's, Pastor Doby used to say, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to tell you what I told you. And James chapter 1 is James telling them what he's going to tell them. We, we could preach seven or eight messages in the book of James, or in James chapter 1, because he starts James chapter 1 by saying, you know, consider it an opportunity for joy when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith works patience. And, and submit yourself to this process, because when patience has had its work, then you'll be mature and complete, lacking nothing. He goes on to say, just a couple of short verses later, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask our generous God who gives lavishly or, or abundantly in an unfolding manner. If anybody lacks wisdom, all you have to do is ask God. He, he talks about the, 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 the humility of the, the wealthy because one day all of that is going to go away. But then he talks about how that God has, has honored those that are poor among us and how that they should boast in that because of what God is doing in them. He talks about the source of our temptation. Don't say God is tempting you because God can't tempt, but each one of us is tempted when from our own evil desires we are enticed and dragged away. We could preach about temptation in James chapter 1. He talks about the difference between listening and doing. Don't just be hearers of God's word, but be doers of his word. Because if you hear it and don't do it, it's like looking at yourself in a mirror. You walk away and forget what you even looked like. So many things that we could, we could talk about. And if, as you read James in the next four chapters, he will expand on all of these, these different ideas that he's just kind of like very quickly, rapid fire, giving, giving the readers of his letter. And he gets to the end, he gets to the end of his introduction. And we find it at the end of chapter one. And at the end of chapter one, there's, there's two verses, verse 26 and verse 27, that that are not a, so much a do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, but, but are really an idea or a picture of what life in Christ looks like when properly demonstrated. 
Really what it is, is, okay, for, for those of you that are reading this letter to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad through exile, through historical circumstance, through, through, through the things that have happened in our history, those of you that are all over the place, essentially, hey, everyone, listen up. Here's what it looks like. Here's what this, this life of faith looks like, and here's what it's demonstrated by. And he, he closes his introduction with verse 26 and 27 in James chapter 1. Here's what he says. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, the Father, means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. God, I pray that, that this morning, Lord, those that are going through trials would be able to find joy in that, knowing that you're working on their behalf in the midst of it. Lord, I pray that those who need wisdom, Lord, that you would give it to them lavishly. Lord, I pray for, for those that, that, that are, are lacking material resources, Lord, that we would boast knowing that you bring us honor. Lord, for those of us that have much, Lord, I pray that you would Cause us to, to humble ourselves under your mighty hand. Lord, I pray for all of us that we would not be hearers of your word only, but Lord, help us to, to do your word as well. And Lord, today as we who have, have committed to following you, to living this new life, Lord, I pray that as we examine our life versus and against the truth of your word, Lord, that our religion would not be found worthless but God, that our lives would be marked by these things as well. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. He's, again, he, he's given us and he, he paints this picture of what it looks like, what this, this new life should be, should be marked by. Let's go back to verse 26. Go ahead and put verse 26 up there. He says, if you claim to be religious, now, we might read that with our understanding, with our perception, uh, as members of the evangelical church in America in 2022, on the verge of stepping into 2023, which is crazy because I just keep looking for Marty McFly because I feel like at this point, he should have come back to the back to the future. But he says, if, if you claim to be religious, now in our mind, that, that word religion, it, it has kind of a negative connotation in our context, right? Like, like we like to say things like, it's not about religion, it's about relationship. We look at the Pharisees and, and their religion and how that their, their religion, their religious attitudes cause them to, to miss the Messiah, we, we look at religion and we think of religion in terms of organized religion. And so when you hear religion, it might spark ideas of denominations and, and different sects and different groups. And, and, and maybe it goes even further to, to atrocities that were committed in the, the history of mankind in the name of religion, whether it's the, 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 the crusades in the Near East, if it's, if it's you know, the, the atrocity of slavery and how that men twisted and perverted scriptures and, and misquoted and misused scripture as a way to justify slavery or what was done to native people in, in boarding schools in the name of religion. When we think about religion, it, it has a tendency to bring up different negative ideas and aspects and ideas and connotations. But we need to understand that when, when James is writing to the 12 tribes who are scattered, when James is writing to this group of people, he's not talking about organized religion. 
There was, there was really no word at this time for the word religion, how we use it today. That word religion, literally what, what it means is it's, it's, it's outward behaviors or the things that you do that demonstrate the truth by which you are living. So what he's saying is, is if there is a truth that has come alive inside of you, and we know what that truth is, that truth is Jesus Christ as the son of God came and lived a perfect life and gave up his life on that cross, bore our sin and took upon himself our unrighteousness and then in turn imputed to us his righteousness so we could be redeemed to the heart of the father. If that truth has come alive in your heart, then the outward display of that truth should be. That's what he says when he's talking about religion. He's not talking about going to church. He's not talking about dropping something in the offering, offering box on your way out of service. He's not, he's not talking about organized religion. He's talking about those things that you do in your life, those outward displays of an inward truth. And he says, if you claim to be religious, but you don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion, the truth that you say you're living your life by, is worthless. It's worthless. I didn't say it. James said it. If you can't control your tongue, your religion is worthless. This morning, at the, at the end of chapter one, he he gives us this, this picture, and there's three things that he, he tells us, three things that he shows us that if you claim to be religious, if you claim that there is a truth that you are living your life by, and yet the outward display is not marked by these things, then your religion is worthless. The first thing that he tells us is, you better watch your mouth. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, watch your mouth. Now turn to your other neighbor and say it how you wanted to say it to your first neighbor. Say, watch your mouth. <laughs> you ever had to tell somebody, watch their mouth? Any parents in here have to tell your kids, watch your mouth? Or what else is going to happen? I'm going to have to wash it out with soap. Have you ever had your mouth washed out with soap? I'll just tell you, it's not a pleasant experience. It's not fun. I've shared this story before, but my mom one time, she came in. She's like, your dad told me what you said. And, and so come with me. We went to the bathroom. She took the bar of soap. And it wasn't like at the end of the bar of soap where there's like just barely enough left. And like you wash your arm and then it's gone. It was, it was like brand new, open, fresh out of the box bar of soap. Stuck in, and she goes, bite it in half. I think I still like have soap in my teeth from that, was burping bubbles for a week. But he says, we need to, we need to, watch, we need to watch our mouths. In James chapter three, he, he expands on this and he, he says, you know, people can tame wild beasts. People can tame birds of the air. People can tame beasts of the field. People can tame, can tame all of these things, but we can't tame the tongue. The tongue is... is <laughs> It's like a spark that sets a whole forest on fire. He says it's full of deadly poison. He says sometimes it blesses the Lord. And sometimes it curses those who are created in his image. And at the end of this, in James chapter 3, he says, And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Surely this is not right. 
It's not right that in one breath we can bless God and in the next we can curse those created in his image. When you were growing up, do you ever, do you ever experience, me and my brother used to get so mad about this. We'd be at home and doing something stupid as we typically did. Mom would come in and we wouldn't be you know, cleaning our room like she told us to or we wouldn't have done the chores like she asked us to and we'd be playing video games on NES because that's how old I am and I was before Super Nintendo or 64, all of those other ones. So we'd be playing video games and she'd come in, she'd be like, why aren't you cleaning your room? I told you to clean your room. You guys need to turn that off. You need to get up. You need to, to get off your lazy butt and start doing what I told you to do. You know, have you ever been there where your mom's just like letting you know all of the things that you've done wrong for the last? And so she's like, you need, you need and then the phone rings. You guys, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm, not, I'm tired of saying this and I'm tired of, t- hello. You ever been there? Have you ever experienced that? Me and my brother, like when that would happen, we'd be like, oh, how come you don't talk to them like you talk to us? What's going on? Like, why don't you answer the phone like, like with the same energy, the same attitude that you just had with us? What is this hello stuff? You don't talk to us like that. <laughs> and then I became a parent. <laughs> And there were times where I was yelling at my kids and then somebody called and was like, hello. <laughs> but what James is saying is if you come into church and it's all hallelujah and praise God and bless his name and glory to, to the Father, and then you leave and on your way home, you're cussing out the person that cut you off or at the kids in the back seat. Or you're talking bad about the server at lunch. Or you're standing around the water cooler, bad-mouthing your boss to your fellow employees. If you, if you come into church and, and blessings come out of your mouth and then you leave church and curses come out of your mouth, what does he say? He says, surely this is not right. Surely there's something wrong here. And if you claim to be religious and if you claim to have the truth of Jesus in your heart and you're living for him, but your life doesn't reflect it by the way that you control your tongue, then your religion is worthless. Why is this so important? Why Why such an emphasis? And if you read James chapter three, you'll see he continues about the words that come from our mouth and controlling the tongue. Why is it so important? First of all, it's important because your words are powerful. Proverbs tells us, Solomon says that the power of life and death is in the tongue. You have the ability to speak life or speak death into those around you, into your situations by the words that you use. It's it's powerful. That's the truth of God's word. And science has backed that up. Scientific experiments that they have done back that up. But, but not only is it important because it's life and it's death, but it's important because, because Jesus said that what comes out is simply a reflection of what's inside. Right. In Matthew chapter 12, he's having a conversation with the Pharisees and here's what he says. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good for the mouth speaks what the heart is already full of? And so if you find yourself in that situation, when we find ourselves coming into church and speaking one way and then being around our friends and speaking another way or at work or on the road or wherever it might be, 
If you find this to be evident in your life, that, that it's like there's, there's two of you. And when I'm at small group, I, I speak one way. And when I'm, when I'm not there, I speak a different way. Then what that tells us is we have to evaluate and examine what's on the inside of us. Because whatever is on the inside is what's going to come out. It's like a cup. You bump a cup. Whatever that cup is full of is going to come out. It's going to spill out in your life in those times where you get bumped. You get bumped by another person. You get bumped by a circumstance or a situation that you didn't see coming. Whatever that thing is that's inside is what you are going to find coming out. And we know that God doesn't look on the outside, but God looks at the heart. And so our words are a reflection of our heart. That's why it's so important. That's why there's so much time dedicated to, to this idea in the New Testament and even in the Old Testament that we need to evaluate what's coming out because it's a reflection of what's going on inside. Paul to the, to the Colossian church in Colossians chapter four says, let your conversations be seasoned with salt and with grace. How many know salt is very useful? And there's times where you don't need salt when there's enough flavor and everything's good, but I don't know if your wife, no, I'm not. I don't know if your mom... No, I'm not going to use that one either. Your mother, no, I'm not going to use your mother. I don't know if you've ever been at a restaurant and they brought a dish and it's just like, you know, just like something's missing and you put a little salt on there. It's like, okay, that's better. You, you guys know what I'm talking about. We have interactions with people and, and your interactions should never be though the, the ones that leave those people with a, with a bad taste in their mouth. But as followers of Jesus, your conversation, your speech should always be seasoned with grace and always be seasoned with salt, that it would be pleasing and encouraging to those that are around you. Ephesians chapter four says, says that everything that you say, either be kind, helpful, or encouraging. Do the things that you say, are, are they kind things? Are they helpful things? Are they encouraging things? Or are you speaking down to people? Are you bad-mouthing people? Are you complaining all the time. See, this isn't right, James says. Surely this isn't right. So if you're following Jesus, the outward display of your faith, of your, your submission to him should be, mar- should be marked by words and speech that are full of grace. Let's continue. Verse 27, going back to James. Here's what he says. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God is this. It, it's caring for orphans and widows in their distress. That's the first half of verse 27. Pure and genuine religion, again, religion is that outward display of an inner truth, is this, caring for orphans and widows in their distress. Now, this this verse is such a powerful verse, and it's a powerful verse contextually when you understand the plight of orphans and widows in that day. In the Roman Empire, and and even going back earlier in in Israel's history, as we read through the Old Testament, what was God always telling them? Take care of the foreigner among you. Take care of the orphan. Take care of the widow. Make sure that that there's somebody to care for them. Why? Because they were a patriarchal society. It was was man-led society. And so when, when a woman was married and her husband died, this woman could not get gainful employment. 
There, was, there, was, there wasn't work for her to be done. You remember the story of Ruth and Naomi, how that, that Ruth lost her husband, and so she travels with her mother-in-law back to Israel with, with nobody to provide for them. What does Ruth do? She follows Boaz's workers through the field because if they drop something and as they're harvesting, if they, they drop some wheat, drop some grain, then she was able to pick it up. That was the only way she could have provided food for them to eat, either that or begging. And so the, the, the widows in that day were really helpless. They were left in a helpless state. That's why God was always telling his people to take care of the widows among you. And orphans even more so. Now here's what's interesting is that when, when we read orphans, we read it with a 2022 understanding of, of what we would consider to be orphans. When we think about orphans, we think of somebody who's lost both parents, whose parents died you know, tragically or, or were removed or whatever the case may be. They're, they're, they're a child living without both parents, right? That's, in our mind, that's what we think of when we think of orphans. Now, in the Roman Empire and in, in, in the biblical time that this is written, an orphan was a child who hadn't lost both parents but had lost the father. And so if a man was married and they had kids and the man died, not only did he leave a widow, but he also left orphans because who was the one who took care of the family? It was the man. Now that the man wasn't there, the mom couldn't get a job. The kids couldn't get jobs. So there was, there was widows and there were orphans both needing to be taken care of in both. God says it's, it's, it's on us as a society. It's on us as, as members of this community of people to look out for and to take care of these individuals. Now, what's interesting is as I was researching this, found out that, that during the Roman Empire in, in first century and, and shortly thereafter, during the Roman Empire, when, it, when, when children reached the age of 15, 45% of kids who reached the age of 15 at that point in their lives were orphans. 45% of 15-year-olds were left without at least a father. Now, why, why so many? Well, life expectancy at that time was the average, the average lifespan was 25 years for, for men living in the Roman Empire. Now, that's on average. So there are obviously some that live longer, but there are a lot that live shorter. What they would say is, is when a kid was born, they were expected to live to 21 years old. If a kid reached five years of age, their life expectancy jumps to 42 years of age because there, there were so many kids who died early in that time because healthcare wasn't good and different, different reasons. But the average life expectancy of a man was 25 years old. And so, so, so again, if, if that's the average expectancy and they're they're married and they're having kids, then, then when they die, there are all of these orphans and all of these widows that need to be taken care of. And here James is writing and saying, look, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus and this truth has been made alive in your heart and in your, in your spirit, then your life needs to be marked by this. Your religion, your outward practice, the outward display of an inner truth needs to be marked by this. Your care of the orphans and the widows in their time of distress. Now, here's what's interesting. That word care literally means to, to move towards. To care for them 
what he's essentially saying is you need to move towards them. Don't, don't walk to the other side of the street when you see them coming. Don't, don't refuse to, to lend a helping hand when, when they come asking. If you see the need, then it's your responsibility to meet the need, and not only to meet the need, but to move towards the need, is what he's saying. Move towards the need. Why? Because widows and orphans were literally the most vulnerable in society. They were those who were most likely to be taken advantage of and those least likely and least capable of protecting themselves. What James is telling us here is if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we have to be willing to move towards the vulnerable. Move towards them. Don't walk away from them. Don't turn the channel when that commercial comes on. Don't, don't, oh, compassion night, widows and orphans. Yeah, somebody will, somebody will take care of them. Somebody's going to do it. Listen, the reason that we're having Compassion Night is for this reason. Because it's our responsibility as followers of Jesus. I don't want my religion to be worthless. I don't want the outward display of the truth of God's word at work in my life to be, to be for nothing. And so if I want that for me, then I have to want that for you. And because I want that for you, I have to give you opportunities to step out and do what God's word is saying so that we're not hearers of his word only, but we're also doers of his word. All of James chapter 1. Like, if we're going to be serious about this, then let's be serious about it. If we want to just keep playing church, then we could just keep playing church. But I don't want to just keep playing church. I want to make a difference in the lives of people in my community. I, I, want, to, I want to see needs and I want to move towards needs. I want to run to them. I don't want to run away from them and keep my head buried in the sand. Everything is good in my neighborhood. If there are vulnerable people in our community, then it's our responsibility to take care of them. And if we're not, and they're there, and we're not doing anything about it, then our religion is worthless. And we might as well just close shop and go home. Just start a little social club, because that's what we become. If we're not taking care of the vulnerable, then that's what we are. Just a club that gets together and hangs out. We don't really do anything, but, you know, we'll talk every now and then. How are the kids? Kids are great. Awesome. How's work? Kids, work's awesome. That's, that's what it is. But here he says, you need to move towards the vulnerable. And here's my question to you. In your life, who are you moving towards? What are you moving towards? I had the opportunity to cross something off of my bucket list this year. And uh, I had a friend who, who entered into a drawing. He, he won tickets to the Masters Golf Tournament in Augusta, Georgia. And for those of you that aren't golf fans, I understand that this means nothing to you, but if you have any comprehension of golf, this is like the holy grail of golf courses, and this is like the mecca. People from all over the world come to Augusta, this little town in the middle of Georgia for this golf tournament. It's the most prestigious golf tournament held every year. And so he, he got tickets to this golf tournament. So we went and we were there. And, you know, of course, everybody that, that, that's there, all we're talking about is, is Tiger going to play? Is Tiger going to play? Man, where's Tiger? What's, what's going on? So we we're there during the practice round. And you'd walk around, there'd be different boards telling you, you know, who's warming up on the driving range, who's on what hole, who's on the practice green, who's putting, who's doing all of these things. And so everywhere you went, everyone would be standing there looking at the board to see when Tiger started warming up, because that meant he was going to come out and play. And then, you know, as we're walking around and we're, you know, getting something to eat, getting something to drink, all of a sudden, like this, this, this rush of people comes moving past us. And we're like, man, what's going on? And somebody said, Tiger's putting. Like, well, Tiger's putting. 
dropped everything that we were doing and we started walking towards the putting green and we get to the putting green and, and I kid you not, there was, there was thousands of people standing around this, this putting green and I was in a line about 10 people deep between me and the putting green and we're looking through like, Tiger, Tiger. And I, I, I had a camera and because I was there on a practice day, I could bring a camera. On, on tournament days, you can't take phones. You can't, if you take your phone on the golf course property, they will remove you and ban you for life. Like this is how serious they are. So I had, the, I had this little digital camera. So I stuck my hand way up in the air and I took a picture and it just so happened that in the moment I pushed the camera button, Tiger was looking at me. And I know he wasn't looking at me because he couldn't see me because I couldn't see him, but he was looking in my direction. So I snapped a picture. So I, I gave the guys, look it. It's, it's the goat right there. And you can see he's kind of looking at least in my general direction, in my general area. But, but there were so many people standing around and these security guards had to come and, and literally move people out of the way so that Tiger could walk from the putting green to the first tee box so that he could, he could start his round that day. And as I was reading this scripture, and as I've been thinking about this scripture and studying the scripture, and when, when, I, when I came across that, that Greek word that, that we translate as to care for or to visit, Literally, it means to move, move towards, to bring yourself closer to them. My mind went to this moment where somebody says, Tiger's over here. And the next thing you know, there's thousands of people just trying to get close to Tiger. I just want to be close. I just want to be able to see him. Can I, can I, can I get close enough to see him. And it didn't matter. Like, it didn't matter how uncomfortable it was. It didn't matter what it required of you. It didn't matter what else you were missing that was going on on the course that day. Tiger is here and I'm going to be close to Tiger. Why? Because we want to be close to greatness. Because we want to be, we want to be close to those who can, who can elevate us. We want to be close to those that we can share a story with people later. In your life, who are you moving close to? Are you only coming close to people who can do something for you? Are you only coming close to people who can, who can promote you? Are you only moving close to people who can pay you back? Are you only moving close to, to people who, who have something that you're looking for? Or are you moving close to those that could never pay you back? Are you moving close to, to those who are vulnerable? Are you moving close to, to those who are in need and in distress? It's not glamorous, but it's, it's true religion. It's not glamorous, but it's what our lives should be marked by and demonstrated by if we claim to be followers of Jesus. We gather together and there are people who are hurting in our community and week after week, we just come in and it's like, man, I hope somebody helps them. I hope somebody ministers to them. I hope somebody reaches out to them. I hope somebody shares the love of Jesus with them. I hope somebody provides for them. Guess what? You, you are that somebody. Yeah. Stop saying somebody. Stop putting it on someone and somebody and start taking responsibility. We need to be taking responsibility for our community. We need to be taking responsibility for our discipleship. We need to be taking responsibility for examining our lives against the truth of God's word, not what society says. And God, am I, am I living the life that you have called me to live? Am I doing what you've asked me to do? Or is my religion at this point 
worthless. Isaiah chapter 1, you go back to the Old Testament, what does he say? God says, learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of the orphans. Fight for the rights of widows. These are the things that we should be doing. When's the last time we did that? Again, the reason we're having Compassion Night is to give you a real, tangible, applicable, entryway to start serving these, these vulnerable groups in our community. Tonight's Compassion Night, 7 o'clock. You've heard it talked about for the last several weeks, and some of you maybe have even stopped out there and, and talked to Melissa. It's like, well, what is this all about? Listen, here's, here's what we're going to do tonight. We're, we're, we've invited two groups in, two ministries in. One is Release Ministries. One is, is, is Refocusing Widows. Release Ministries works with at-risk youth, works with, with kids in foster care, and works with families to prevent kids entering the, the foster care system. So keeping families together. And they're going to come and they're going to share. Here's the needs that we have. Here are the things that we see. Here are the ways that you could get involved. Maybe it's mentoring, maybe it's mentoring a kid. Maybe it's, 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 it's coming alongside of a family. And, and oftentimes kids are removed from home simply because they don't have enough resources. They don't have beds. They don't have, have utensils. They don't have, 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 have a washing machine, things like that. Kids are removed from their parents' homes and removed from their families for, for things that we all have sitting in storage somewhere. In our excess could be a blessing to vulnerable people in, an, in a way for us to, to come alongside, to equip, to empower, to minister, to show the love of Jesus to them. Refocusing widows. There, are, there are, are, are not just women, but men who have lost their spouses that are just looking for a community. Women, like, have you ever thought, like, how does a widow get just household things done? And, and nothing like this is not like some sexist, like, oh, they can't do this. No, like in talking to them and asking them, like, what kind of things do you need? Well, when my, when my husband passed away, there was nobody to do this. And I don't know who to call to do that. Like there are men in the church that could just, just change their oil just as a way to minister to them. There are things they need done around their house that, that, that if you're handy, you have the ability, you have the resources, you have the experience, you have, you have the gifts to be able to meet some of these needs for people in our community that we have been called to minister to. Be, be in relationship with, invite them over for dinner. You have nobody to, to go to Thanksgiving dinner with. Why don't you come to my house? What are you doing this weekend? Come, come have dinner with me and my family. Feel that loneliness that you're experiencing. There are opportunities and there are things, real easy, practical, simple steps that we can take to make sure that we aren't just hearing God's word and we aren't turning into a social club, but that we're stepping out and doing what, what God has asked us to do. If we want our religion to be pure, if we want our religion to be genuine, again, religion not in an organized sense, but the demonstration of the truth at work in our lives, then we need to, number one, watch our mouths. Number two, we need to move towards the vulnerable. And then at the end of this, this chapter, the third thing that he says is don't look like the world. Go ahead and put the verse up there, verse 27, the second half of verse 27. He says, and refuse to let the world corrupt you. Stop looking like the world. Stop emulating the world. Stop trying to be like the world. Stop, stop laughing at what the world is laughing at. Stop pursuing what the world is pursuing. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, don't conform to the patterns of this world. Don't copy the behavior and the customs, 
but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. This is the life that we are called to live. One where the words out of our mouth are not different on Sunday than they are on Monday, but that because our heart is pure, because we're pursuing him and because he's dwelling within us, everything that we say is seasoned with grace and with salt. That we are saying what is kind, helpful, and encouraging to other people around us. Number two, that we are moving towards the vulnerable. That we're not ignoring them. We're not sticking our head in the sand and acting like everything's good. And as long as it's not affecting me and my home and my neighborhood and my school district, then everything's going to be great. No, let us instead move towards those in our community who are hurting and in real need. Let us move towards them. Let us run towards them. Let us, let us take a look at the, the gifts God has given us and say, God, how can I use these? to serve those in our community. And then number three, stop looking like the world. I think one of the reasons why the, the church is no longer attractive is because we look no different than the world looks. And we should be offering something that is so different because we have something that is so much better. We should be offering hope and we should be offering joy and we should be offering love and we should be offering truth. And in a world that, that doesn't know what truth means, we have the truth. We are to share that truth with grace and with love. And yet when the world looks at us, we are as anxious and we are as depressed and we are as divorced and we are as addicted and we are as messed up as the world is. Because for so long we have tried to, to fit in with the world. We're not supposed to fit in with the world. This world is not our home. We are in the world. We are not of the world. We are travelers that are passing through. This is not our home. Romans says, don't conform. Don't copy. Don't adjust your life to their standard. Rather than comparing yourself to what your friends are doing or what you see on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or whatever other social media platforms you use, Comparing yourself against what the world says. Instead, we need to be comparing ourselves against what God's word says. It's not about how much stuff I have and how big my house is and how perfect my family is and what vacations that I take every year. It's, can I control my tongue? If I can't, I need to start there. It's, it's am I moving to the, towards the vulnerable? Am I, am I making a difference in my community? Am I serving the least of these? Jesus said, when you've done it to the least of these, you've literally done it unto me. And am I copying the world? Am I trying to be like the world? Or instead, am I trying to be transformed into his image? That's true religion. That's genuine religion. That's the outward display of an inward truth. So watch your mouth. I love you. Watch your mouth. Move towards the vulnerable. And number three, stop copying the world. Amen? Amen. Stand with me this morning. Let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed. God, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the, the challenge that you've given us today. Lord, I thank you for the encouragement that you've given us today. Lord, I, I pray for each and every person that is, is here in person, for those that are watching online. Lord, I, I pray that as we move forward, as the, the truth of your word has, has been planted into our heart, Lord, I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would water that seed, that it would produce fruit in our lives, and that the outward display, that our, our worship, our religion would match the truth of what's going on inside of us and that it would match the truth of your word. 
that it would be demonstrated and that it would be marked by our ability to control our tongue because it's not just about the words that are coming out of our mouths, but it's about what's been planted in our hearts. So Lord, may, may our words be a reflection of your heart. May our words be a reflection of your character. May our words, as Paul said, be seasoned with, with grace. Lord, I pray that you would, you would challenge us to move towards the vulnerable. Lord, thank you for the opportunity this evening Lord, to, to come together and hear about real needs that are represented in our community in, in ways that we can, we can run to that and, and seek to be used by you in that way. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for looking more like the world than we look like you. Forgive us for pursuing the world more than we pursue you. Forgive us for longing the things of the world more than we long for the things of you. Lord, today I pray that, that as we go, Holy Spirit, that you would continue to speak to us, continue to challenge us, or continue to sand off those rough edges so that today we would look a little bit more like you and tomorrow we would wake up, that your word would be on our mind, your word would be in our heart. Lord, I pray such a sensitivity to your voice now, when conviction comes, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be shame and it wouldn't be condemnation because there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Now, we wouldn't feel shame that caused us to go running and hiding like Adam and Eve in the garden. But Lord, in, in conviction that we would return to you. In conviction, we would give you access to our hearts and say, God, show me anything in me that grieves you as David did. Lord, I pray that you would lead us. I pray that you would guide us. That our religion would not be worthless, but that it would be pure and genuine in your eyes. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. 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 God bless you, church. Be blessed. Have a great week. At Dream City Omaha, we're all about helping each other do three things. Discover Christ, recover identity, and uncover purpose. Please check out our past sermon series or online discipleship classes. And don't forget to hit subscribe and the bell for notifications on all of our latest videos.